Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And I thought to myself this morning, why just do episodes of Epic versus Apple, even though that is one of the more interesting litigations to come across our desk in quite some time, when there is actually so much other news going on in the world of video games. And why is that? Well, because companies have been putting out their financial reports. They're now talking to their investors about what those financial reports say, exactly what the past looks like for them during a year in which a pandemic happened, what the future looks like for them during a year in which the entire face of video gaming is really changing as these companies start grappling with subscription services like Xbox Game Pass, what the future of this next generation is actually going to be. And out of those conversations are coming some pretty big news items. Here on your screen is the logo for Ubisoft. Now, I know a number of you have thoughts on Ubisoft and Ubisoft's production. As you might know from this space, I'm a little bit more lenient towards them than a lot of you. They are one of my favorite publishers, even if they mostly make a single game type that they then put different skins on. I really enjoyed Valhalla. I really enjoyed Immortals from last year, Immortals Phoenix Rising, formerly Gods and Monsters. And in general, I like Ubisoft games more than I like Electronic Arts and Activision games. There are exceptions to every rule, but I like Ubisoft. So when I saw this article yesterday, it came as at least a little bit of a surprise. This is from Video Games Chronicle. Ubisoft says it's changing strategy to focus on more high-end, free-to-play games. Assassin's Creed Firm says it will no longer rely on three or four AAA games each year. And of course, Ubisoft has been known for a pretty regular cadence of AAA games. Yes, they share a certain open-world DNA, Far Cry, Watch Dogs, Assassin's Creed, but they have been a big participant in video gaming, making a lot of money selling those premium products. And yesterday, talking to their investors, they said, they're going to go in a different direction. We're going to talk about some of the impact of that. We're also going to talk about what this doesn't exactly say and how a Ubisoft analyst had actually come onto Twitter and is incorporated in this updated article to suggest that it isn't as bad as it seems, which it undoubtedly isn't, but it's also probably not as benign as that analyst makes it look. So, Reading the article, Ubisoft is shifting away from its traditional strategy. The company provided an update on its game development strategy during its full year earnings call on Tuesday, when it said it intends to be less reliant on AAA releases as part of its overall product mix. In line with the evolution of our high-quality lineup that is increasingly diverse, we are moving on from our prior comment regarding releasing three to four premium AAA games per year. Now, this is an investor call. These are stockholders that have given their money to this company, and this is the company's disclosure responsibility, both this year and in the past, to tell folks what they plan to do with that money, how that money is going to make more money through the business plans that Ubisoft has. Their former business plans were, we are going to focus on premium titles, selling at $60 or $70. We're going to release three or four of them per year. We're going to make our money. Everybody's going to be happy. And continuing with this call from yesterday, they say that's basically no longer the case. As we've talked about in virtual legality, these officers, the board of directors of a company, the various folks that are in charge of that pile of money that investors have given them have a fiduciary responsibility, a fiduciary duty. They are the holders of other people's money 
to try to maximize the return on investment for that money as it comes in to their entity. So they can't just ignore what's happening in the gaming industry. If you've been following it for any period of time now, you have seen how much money these companies are making with free-to-play titles, how Fortnite is doing, how Activision and Warzone is doing, and that will come up again as part of this video, and you can't ignore it. Doesn't mean you have to train, change your strategy. In fact, companies that try to change their strategy aren't always successful in doing so. We have seen Nintendo try to break into mobile gaming and do so somewhat successfully and then basically tell their investors they're going to be paring back on that initiative because it didn't meet the requirements for return on investment that they themselves wanted to see out of those products. This is Ubisoft saying what Nintendo said a few years back when they said they were going to break into mobile. Ubisoft is looking at free-to-play, looking at these companies making huge amounts of money with Apex Legends or Warzone or Fortnite and saying, well, we need to go get some of that because those are returns on investment that are even higher than the initial sell-through rate of premium. If you can hit on one of those genius ideas that really connects with people. And Ubisoft actually hasn't been that successful with that. They tried with Hyperscape. They've tried a little bit in the past, and now they're saying we're going to throw all of our resources at this thing with our intellectual properties. It is indeed no longer a proper indication of our value creation dynamics. For example, our expectation for Just Dance and Writer's Republic are consistent with some of the industry's AAA performers. And in fact, Just Dance has been one of those kind of hidden gems in terms of return on investment, in terms of people spending money on it for a long, long time. Riders Republic, I believe, is a brand new game. I think it's about bicycles. But Ubisoft is obviously very positive about it and very positive about what it could potentially mean in the long term. Additionally, we are building high-end, free-to-play games to be trending towards AAA ambitions over the long term. And that is a little bit of an unclear statement. AAA ambitions. AAA is a terrible, terrible term of art for the video game industry. Does it mean money that you spent on making it? Does it mean polish and overall cinematic flair? When you say it immediately after a sentence talking about AAA performers, is it about AAA generating revenue? What are you meaning when you describe AAA ambitions? And unfortunately, we're not going to get any clarity from here, except this overall kind of amorphous notion that when they say they're going to get into free-to-play, they don't mean that they are going to have Activision's Crash Bandicoot Endless Runner. They mean they're going to do something that is much more aligned with what they make on the AAA space, your Far Cries, your Assassin's Creed, and try to make that into a free-to-play model. So it would sound to me, but what's actually going to come out of this initiative is anybody's guess. They then try to clarify a little bit. This is purely a financial communication evolution and doesn't change the fact that we continue to expect a high cadence of content delivery, including powerful premium and free-to-play new releases. These stockholders invested in this company that said they were going to release essentially standard premium video games, three to four per year. That was their business model, and they're announcing that they are changing it, but they don't want the shareholders to completely freak out. So they're saying, hey, we're still going to be selling powerful premium games, but now with free-to-play new releases. And this was presented, as we saw in Video Game Chronicle, as changing strategy to focus more on free-to-play games, moving out of AAA, moving on from our prior comment, as I put in the thumbnail to this video. And a lot of people that follow this kind of thing, that really are those premium video game purchasers, and are oftentimes a different audience 
than the free-to-play purchasers, the people that buy microtransactions or battle passes or engage with free-to-play games, didn't take this news all that well. It got reported around the internet as effectively Ubisoft closing up shop, moving on from AAA entirely. That's clearly not what they intend, but it's also a little bit more complicated than that. So we got Jeff Keighley talking about this. Jeff Keighley, kind of the ambassador of premium video games at this point, the guy behind the video game awards, often on Twitter, often on social media, on these platforms, at conferences, talking about what these companies are going to release. And he said, video games evolving and changing. I called this video the changing face of gaming. Just 26% of EA revenue came from premium game sales. The rest was from live service, DLC, mobile and microtransactions. Ubisoft shifting away from three to four premium AAA titles a year. Plans to launch high-end free-to-play games, thoughts. And then Sean Boppin comes on. He's on Twitter. He responds to Jeff Keighley. He says, hi, regarding the Ubisoft comment, it's in reference to free-to-play becoming a larger share of the revenue pie, not an indication that there will be less traditional paid games like AC, Assassin's Creed. The content mix is expanding, not changing. A good comp is the evolution of Call of Duty since Warzone. Now, Sean Boppin is listed here in his profile as a senior analyst at Ubisoft. So this is somebody with some street cred on these questions, but it's also not clear that he's being entirely accurate with what Ubisoft has said. When you say we're moving on from releasing three to four premium AAA games per year, that suggests to me that it's not your intent to hit that bogey anymore. It's not your intent to make sure that you have at least three AAA games coming out in any given year, and you're going to add to that content mix. But otherwise, there was nothing preventing you from having additional games over and above that three to four premium AAA games per year. As I just mentioned, Ubisoft does that all the time. Ubisoft has additional games over its mainline flagpole releases. It has things like Hyperscape. It has things like Just Dance. And now it might have less. But there's some attempts here by Sean Boppin to quell a little bit of a nascent internet storm. Jeff Keighley says, so is this story incorrect? And this was before, I think, Video Games Chronicle had actually updated it with these tweets, obviously, that are happening right now. He says, well, some of the interpretations of the article I'm seeing are incorrect. I mostly wanted to steer the conversation away from free-to-play games or replacing AAA games to free-to-play is going to be an additional way to experience some of these IPs and pointed to Call of Duty as a good example of the model. He finishes his comment by saying, a good comparison is the evolution of Call of Duty since Warzone. Now, if you've been following Activision in the news, if you've been following the Warzone story, you know that Warzone is making Activision an absolute ton of money. And as a response, because this is in some respects a zero-sum game, if you've got resources delegated to making video games, they can't be making two video games at once, not one person. So if you've got one person, they have to be delegated to something like, oh, I don't know, Crash Bandicoot, or something like Warzone. It was only a few days ago where we got news that Activision, who had made one of my favorite platformers in years in Crash Bandicoot, It's About Time, a real triumph of the form. Highly recommend it if you can get it, and certainly if you can get it on sale since they apparently have closed the company that makes it, have moved that company over to working solely on Warzone. And I can tell you that Activision is moving a lot of its assets to working on Warzone. That's evident just from looking at people's descriptions of what they are doing, what their various subsidiary entities are involved in, that they are moving a lot of their resources to making Warzone. Why? Because Warzone makes money. It's not 
anything against them. They have a fiduciary responsibility to go make as much money as possible. And I certainly think that in some respects, moving all their resources is myopic. I would rather have a few eggs in my basket than just this one egg that could crack at any moment, but I'm not in charge of these companies. So when you see somebody come in from Ubisoft and say, just look at it like Warzone, Activision's making a lot of money there, Apex Legends, whatever you want to reference here, it's worth noting that yes, that might be true, but Ubisoft has told its shareholders that it's going to be using its limited resources to be making more of these different types of games. And if they prove successful, then they're going to be moving more and more resources into those types of games. This is the kind of thing that is totally legitimate from Video Games Chronicle as a reporting item, totally legitimate from Sean Boppin to say, hey, people are taking it a little bit too far. And I want to tell you that we're still going to be making the games that you love. And also not at all too far for folks that look at this and say, well, this is the kind of thing I'm worried about. This is the kind of thing where I look at Activision now really putting all their resources into Warzone or EA putting all their resources into FIFA Ultimate Team and Apex Legends and other companies doing very similar. Game Pass encouraging essentially games to have more microtransactions, more expansions, because if you're going to be available on a subscription service, you still want to have some kind of revenue service that you can realize as part of a process like that one, like being involved in a subscription service like that one. And so you wind up with people that are all talking to each other all really saying similar things, all with legitimate concerns, grievances, and positions. And yet, all we can really say is that video games are definitely changing. They have this new game. In terms of Heartland, the way we think about building the audience reach growth for our biggest franchises, starting with The Division, is to come with high-quality, free-to-play games. We're going to be making games that sell our brands and not just relying on a brand new intellectual property. We've got these brands. We've got Tom Clancy. We've got Assassin's Creed. We've got Far Cry. And we're going to be putting resources into getting those in a model that people have indicated they want to buy in. We recognize this is the first year we are coming meaningfully into this space. That's why we need to take reasonable assumptions for year one on the top line, the money we're going to make as well as on the contribution. But of course, we want to make sure this is a strong contributor in the long term to the expansion of the overall brand on console and PC. And then, of course, we'll come mobile at a later time. We're going to make this free to play. We want the division to be a name people recognize as something they like to play. And we're going to use free to play to get that brand out there and then eventually come to mobile. And we think it is now the time to come with high quality free to play games across all our biggest franchise across all platforms. But of course, it will take time before proving it in a more assertive way. That's why we want to be cautious in year one. If we are successful, that can have a very meaningful impact on the value creation of Ubisoft. And if they are successful, those folks that look at this and say, Ubisoft is testing the waters of switching over a lot of its resources to this free-to-play approach, which you or I or others that like premium games, that like single-player experiences, that like things like Ubisoft has made for at least its modern history might well just be left on the side of the road if it turns out that free-to-play gamers like what Ubisoft is putting out there, like buying skins, like buying battle passes. And I think everybody that's looking at a story like this one is right to be concerned. 
This has been Virtual Legality for today. A little bit lighter of an episode over Epic versus Apple. We will be getting back to that case very, very shortly. Don't you worry. But if you like conversations about the business and law of video games, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon, Streamlabs, shirts, mugs, and more. Or just subscribe, ring the bell, upvotes, downvotes, comments. Let YouTube know that we're here and let your friends know that we're here. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.